Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids, and Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, my guy, have you been able to catch up on any sleep since Thursday night? Because I have a feeling the end of this week might be just as crazy as the end of last week. Yeah, I did. It definitely kind of cooled off uh, Saturday and Sunday a little bit after a pretty busy Thursday and Friday. So uh, we'll see for this weekend. I'm just happy that uh, free agency starts at 6 p.m. now and not and not midnight, which never really made sense. Like I like when I was just following NBA growing up, I never thought about it. But then you start covering the NBA full time, and it's like, why are we staying up till midnight for free agency that doesn't make sense so uh so we'll see this 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 weekend but i'm expecting i probably won't be up until 3 a.m like i was last week so definitely happy about that good i'm glad you caught up man i i've i got a chance to over the weekend omari we went to okc first thing friday morning got some decent sleep i actually got to work on some pistons content friday and saturday and then we're recording this first thing Monday morning. I got in at midnight last night from that tournament, and then we're up early this morning. So I might have to get a little nap in here Monday afternoon and catch up for the rest of the week. But for our listeners, Thursday at 6 p.m., right, Omari? I believe that's correct is when some of these reports may start coming in on free agency. And you had an article drop recently about what you think will happen with the Pistons free agency now that the draft is over. Yeah, that's right. Thursday at 6 p.m. is when uh, free agency officially starts. And I know fans have been talking about DeAndre Ayton and Miles Bridges for a while. But uh, as I wrote Monday morning, uh, it's looking more likely that uh, they're not going to make a big splash in free agency. Uh, and I, I, mean, I, I talked about it a little bit when we dropped the uh, late draft pod. But you get two guys in the lottery, Jaden Ivey, and then also uh, Jalen Duran. And I don't think the Pistons expected to get both of those guys. Uh, definitely didn't expect to get Duran uh, going into the draft. Uh, kind of changes the thinking and the priority for the rest of the summer. So you have six guys uh, that you've taken in the last three years. And it just kind of lessens the need, I think, to spend so much cap space on one guy up center or uh, or if it's Miles Bridges, like, you know, a guy who's a, a power forward and you have Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay. Uh, just doesn't make quite as much sense. So uh, probably less likely to make a big splash and more likely they just bring some shooters in because <laughs> that's one thing they did not address in the draft is is is, is shooting. So uh, I just know that people are, are going to ask about that a lot. And I would just say lower your expectations. Maybe you get a guy on a good deal, but probably not, not the biggest priority this summer now is to get that big splash in. Yeah, I mean, I know fans are probably going to be disappointed if they don't walk away with DeAndre Ayton or Miles Bridges. It seemed like those guards were out of the equation anyway, Jalen Brunson, Colin Sexton, those guys. But it's got to be music to the fan base's ears if you hear that Troy Weaver and the front office want shooting and are going to prioritize shooting. Now, I will say we heard that last offseason as well, and it didn't necessarily come to fruition. But we, we will talk more about the roster and all that in segment two. Let's talk about the two guys who maybe changed the trajectory of free agency on Thursday night, and that is Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. We talked about them in the instant recap episode, but let's take a little deeper dive. Jaden Ivey falls, in my opinion, right into the Pistons' lap at number five. 
one interesting thing is he was telling teams he is not a point guard. That was music to my ears because I don't think that's what he should play. And if he is okay with not playing that, I think that is great. How do you feel about that? What have you heard in terms of what you think the organization sees from him as far as a point guard, off guard? Yeah, I definitely think there's an awareness from the organization that uh, this isn't quite a Cade Cunningham situation where you have a guy that just kind of does everything and definitely processes the game like a point guard. Uh, they didn't use, you know, like I don't want to say kid, kid gloves, but they, there's an awareness last year that Kate could come in and immediately be that impact type of guy. And they'd see Jaden Ivey that way as, as well as they got to make this an impact. But uh, Dwayne Casey also made a point to say uh, during their introductory press conference on Friday that uh, Ivey and Duran are both, you know, like they're, they're young. They're rookies. They're going to be able to come in and get their feet wet. Uh, they're not going to set sky high expectations for them. And for me, I guess I'm curious if some of that is just an acknowledgement that, you know, Killian came in and they, you know, kind of said he's ready to go. And then, of course, that wasn't quite true. So they don't want to make that uh, same error of sort of setting expectations too high. And then the guy ends up needing a little bit more time to adjust, which isn't an indictment on Killian, who is still 20 year, years old somehow. But just uh, this is the third guard they've taken uh, in the in the first round in, in three years. Actually, the, you know, the third guard they've taken in the top seven. <laughs> In, in three years. So, you know, I think also already having Kay and, you know, Corey Joseph here and then Killian, who will be in year three, uh, you don't need Ivy to come in and immediately have the bond in hands. You could kind of ease them in, get them comfortable and whatnot. So uh, I think that 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 is good because Ivy is not a, a point guard. We talked about it on this pod. Uh, I think I just spoke a couple of pods ago and said he was, and uh, I do read the Detroit Bad Boys comments. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I had to defend you a little bit yeah. because they're like, if Omari says that Jay Ivey's a point guard one more time, it's like, hey, listen, Omari is a smart, <laughs> smart man, basketball-wise and otherwise. He he misspoke. He's not purposely calling him a point guard because he thinks he's a point guard. Yeah, I know, guys. I know he's not a point guard. And, uh, yeah, you know, just misspoke. You speak for an hour straight. You're going to, you know, say some things incorrectly. Uh, but bottom line is that, you know, the Pistons know that, uh, you know, Ivy still has some skill development to do, and they're not going to force him or rush him in, in any way. He's going to be able to come in and uh, just acclimate at his pace. Yeah, I think you brought up something really interesting, Amari. I hadn't thought about. Cade puts up these expectations for rookies that is going to be unfair for Jay Nivey and Jalen Duran. And, and even Cade struggled to start last season, right? Like we all kind of, I don't want to say we forget it because we still have to defend it at times on Twitter, but Cade is different than these guys. I think we would all agree with that. And so even though I'm excited about Jaden Ivey, and we'll talk about Jalen Duran here in a few minutes, I don't think we should expect the same thing from Jaden Ivey. Like just even the maturity level, because Cade was on a different level. Yeah, it's just it's just different. I mean, you know, Cade comes in and you just don't have prospects who have just Cade's ability to do like a little bit of everything. Like Cade even, he still only shot like 31% from three last year. And, you know, like teams still respect the, the shot and defend him that way because they know that he can shoot. Yeah, Ivy's a, a unique prospect, just a hyper-athletic guard. Uh, you know, still just has some skill development to take place. And uh, and for him, I think he landed in the best scenario where he can play along with a Cade and a Killian who are good at the things that he isn't. And he brings the one thing that they don't, which is just elite athleticism. So from that regard, it's a, a perfect fit for Ivy. And I think that would take the pressure off of him pretty early. 
I've said that as well. I think it's a good fit next to Kate. I do want to talk about the fit with Killian a little bit more in just a second, but it's the absolute perfect fit for Jaden Ivey. I believe that wholeheartedly that he is in the perfect situation for him. And how about how the organization has embraced him? I didn't see all of it because I had a busy weekend, but what the organization presented jerseys to him and his family at the introductory press conference, like all this seemed like they really rolled out the, the red carpet for him and his family. Can, can you touch on that just a little bit more and then we'll begin get back to the court yes so uh aren't Tellum presented uh three jerseys from Jaden and ivy's family to Jaden on stage during his press conference on friday uh he presented a detroit lions jersey uh from his grandfather james hunter who played for the lions uh his dad javin hunter also played in the nfl i believe mostly for the baltimore ravens but he went to country day uh so uh he presented a country day football jersey from his dad javin and then this mom, of course, uh, played for the Shock, I believe, back in 2005. So uh, they gave Jaden a DL Ivy jersey as well. And uh, you can just tell how happy I, like Jaden is to be a Piston because he kind of like teared up. Like he teared up a little bit when they brought his grandfather's jersey out. And then it's like, oh, here's your daughter, your mom, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think they got those jerseys a few weeks in advance just in case Ivy was there. And they obviously didn't know if he would be there, but it just says a lot that, you know, they really wanted to give him the warmest welcome possible and make him feel at home. Uh, so just a, a really cool story overall. Like, you know, I don't know if I expected the Pistons to go to that extent beforehand, and it's cool to see that happen. Yeah, that was really cool. Like I said, I just caught bits and pieces, and so I'm kind of just learning that. Just as you were talking about that, I, I couldn't imagine, like, for myself, if – I was a part of an organization. They welcomed me that way. I know it would mean a lot to me um, moving forward. So, so that is really, really cool. Let's talk about what what does Jay Nivey do well in year one, Omar? We've talked about fit and all these things. What is he going to do well? What do we feel like the fan base is going to see from him? We know there's going to be some struggles, but where is he NBA ready, you know, day one whenever he steps onto the court? Uh, he's an NBA ready athlete like by far. And I think that's the one thing that is going to translate immediately is his ability to get downhill and, you know, draw fouls and finish at the rim. There's a lot said about, you know, guys, they get to the league and the game becomes simpler because uh, the floor is a little bit more open. And I think at times I can almost be, be a cliche because NBA defenses are a little bit more sophisticated. So it's not like you're just going to have like a cha-cha line to the rim. Like there's going to be different things in place to, uh, impede your, your progress but like I do think Ivy immediately is just going to immediately be one of the best athletes in the NBA uh, you could probably count I mean really on on one hand if not both the amount of guys who have a comparable first step it's really not that many guys like people compare them to jaw and that's really where the jaw comparison comes from is just how quickly they can get to the rim or even like Westbrook but it's like those those guys like there's like three or four of them uh, so we'll see that pretty immediately, even if the shot isn't immediate, even if the passing isn't immediate, uh, just his ability to pressure the rim, uh, something I think the Pistons could weaponize from day one. Yeah, I think transition, that's something I want to talk about as we go throughout the episode because of obviously the other draft pick, Jalen Duran, and if this team is going to play faster. I, I do want to say, Amari, I think his passing is better than people give him credit for. And, and I honestly can't remember if I mentioned this on Friday's episode, but he's not a high-level read guy, but I didn't think he was an, a selfish player by any means. And I think he can get into the lane, and if health comes, then he can make the right read to the, to the open man. And I think that's all he has to do. He puts so much 
much rim pressure on the defense that he's either going to score it the way you talked about or he can just drive and kick. So I think the passing woes, quote unquote, have been a little bit overblown. Is he throwing Cade and Killian whip passes? No, probably not. Hopefully he develops that a little bit more. But I think his being a bad passer is a little more overblown than than actual reality. Before we talk about Jalen Dirt, how do you think Ivy and Killian fit? Because you know, do you do you want Jaden Ivy to run the second unit with the ball in his hand some, or do you think when he does play with Killian Hayes, they still put the ball in Killian's hands and Ivy's off ball? Can we play Killian, Cade, and Jaden Ivy all together? We say this a lot. If he could shoot, right? <laughs> like you know, this is a fit with Killian. If he could shoot, uh, so there's like this theoretical fit where Killian's knocking down open threes, and then there's uh, you know the reality of the fit. You know, if the Killian's the same player as he was last year, um, where he's not spacing the floor, and maybe that hurts things a little bit. But I think if you have Killian sort of in like that similar six man row, uh, he's coming into the game halfway through the first quarter, uh, finishing the first half, maybe finishing some fourth quarters. Um, it could still work, especially if Ivy could like knock down open threes, which I think he'll be able to. Like Ivy did shoot like thirty six percent from three last season. Yeah, catch and uh, shoot. I think he's going to be fine. Like it's a yeah. set shot. People are super worried. Maybe it's not movement off the dribble stuff, Amari, but catch and shoot. Like I don't have a ton of concerns. I don't have a lot of concerns either. Like he'll keep defenses honest, and like I think that could work. Like him and Killian together. Like again, it's not it's not like you know like a completely perfect fit. But you know, as far as Killian being able to take the harder defensive assignment. Uh, move the ball and then you know if Ivy's active on cuts uh, you know of course Ivy has that athleticism that Killian doesn't have so you know Ivy could even create for Killian some as well uh, if Killian could knock down those open shots like I think there's upside there for sure uh, just because I think you really should pair Killian with somebody who's more athletic than he is to uh, get a little bit more juice out of that backcourt like I think Kate and Killian could fit next to each other and you probably can play all three of those guys next to each other as well. Since Kate is, you know, six six with a big wingspan, so he can defend uh, a lot of small forwards. Uh, like as long as two of those guys can shoot, like I think you're probably in pretty good shape because uh, you're not going to have all three guys. I mean, you even look at uh, Boston in the in the, in the finals. Derek White's not a great shooter, but Derek White can, you know, like make make passing reads and defend at a high level. So uh, you can always have those guys on the court as long as you have enough shooting around them. Cade's the one that makes that work, especially if he's put on a little strength and muscle and can defend, you know, down, I guess, or up into, you know, the three spot in that lineup. We keep talking about athleticism. The guy who has a ton of athleticism as well is who the Pistons work to get at number 13. You know, in a roundabout way, essentially, this was part of the Jeremy Grant trade turned into number 13, some second round picks, cap space. We've outlined all of that. We'll continue to talk about it. But Jalen Duran, the young man out of Memphis, Omari, one of the youngest players in the draft, even though he has played one year of college basketball. I want to start here and then we'll work our way through. I tweeted out my like kind of fun starting lineup for the Detroit Pistons and it had Jalen Duran in it. And a lot of people are like, he's not going to be ready. He's going to spend time in the G League. Where do you think Jalen Duran is? Where do you feel like the organization thinks Jalen Duran is just in terms of his progression as an NBA player? So we asked Troy and Dwayne about that. And Troy said, you know, it's like it's up to the player, honestly. You know, some guys are ready to go immediately. Some guys aren't. And you don't always know how ready a player is going to be when you bring them in. And then Dwayne, same with Jaden Ivey. Uh, you know, these guys are, are young kids. We're not going to you know, expect a word of them from day one. We're going to bring them in at their own pace. Uh, with that said, 
uh, Jalen Duran is the only Jalen Duran on, on on the roster. Uh, you know, when I say that, I mean uh, he is the only guy who is like a genuine kind of like vertic- vertical lob threat, but also has the tools to be a really really good defender. Sorry, uh, Marvin Bagley. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's pretty obvious who I'm talking about here. <laughs> uh, because of that, I wonder if like he'll have a pretty big role early on, just because it's hard to see why he wouldn't be able to just play that role pretty immediately. Um, the rim protection, yeah, I think on some level centers are going to have to learn uh, the NBA pace, NBA game. Uh, he might struggle with fouls and whatnot. Uh, but on the other hand, he was already a pretty good rim protector for Memphis last season, uh, despite being the age of a high school senior. Uh, so his growth curve is already uh, pretty strong for how young he is. I mean, you know, if he was two years older, I still think he would have been in like the lottery conversation because of his skill set, you know, but he's will still be 18 years on opening night. So he's extremely young and already pretty skilled. Uh, but also, if I'm Dwayne, and, you know, I have a guy in Duran who, you know, has some rim protection upside. Like, let's say he's an average rim protector from day one, which already puts him in, like, we kind of have to play him territory. And then he's also like a 7-5 wingspan. It's not ready. It's huge. So you have three guards, four guards, really, who are, uh, you know, like dropping off lobs to him. We saw Killian and K utilized Bagley last year. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if Duran is like a rotation guy from day one, honestly. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I, I could just see him the role he's in, you may just have to play him and just pray that he can hold his own defensively. That was kind of the debate on Twitter, and it got pretty deep with some people was, I do think he fits a role immediately, Amari, all the things you're talking about. Obviously a lob threat, rim runner in transition, offensive rebounds, those things, put him in the dunker spot. I like his defense. Obviously there's going to be a growth curve there, right? Like every, even Dyson Daniels, who everybody loves as a defender, Jeremy Sohan, who everybody loves as a defender, there's going to be a growth curve for those guys as well. But I think he can block shots and do those things. I think there's a switchability with him as well, which is really exciting if him and Stu can play together. But do you play him in that role where it's a little bit smaller of a box? Or the argument was you send him to the G League, Amari, so he can work on the development of his short roll passing, short roll floater game, his mid-range jumper, those other things that are going to take his ceiling even higher. Like, How do you balance that this year if you're the Pistons? Do you, you send them back and forth? Or is it saying... You you do these things for us during games, work on those other things in practice and develop them then. I guess part of this for me depends on what happens in free agency, right? Like if you're extremely yep. deep at center, so you know, your rotation's pretty full with Stewart, Olenek, Bagley, and then you also have Duran. Maybe that becomes a bit more likely. The Pistons will always say that the Motor City Crews are here for that purpose to develop our guys. We're not gonna treat it as like uh, you know, presenting somebody to the gulag or whatever, you know, like it's it's like a positive, pr- productive thing to go to the Motor City Cruise and, you know, develop your skill. Uh, with that said, uh, they have not actually assigned a first round pick to the Motor City Cruise outside of last year when Kate was hurt. And then he was coming back and, you know, getting back from that that ankle injury. So does that change with Duran, given how young he is? Uh, right now, like I would say, I'd probably be more surprised to see him in the G League. I think it would have to be him struggling significantly uh, for them to say, yeah, let's bring him on a little bit more slowly with the crews. But I guess one, will he struggle significantly? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's TBD, but I feel like he's skilled enough already to where he probably won't. And then two, uh, because, you know, as we just talked about, he's the only player on the roster who has that vertical spacing 
and rim protection. And outside of Isaiah Stewart, there's really nobody else on the roster who's a good rim protector. So if Duran is at least average, uh, that's going to count for a lot. Uh, it may just be the situation where he's just already an NBA player anyway, and you don't have to do it. Uh, I say a big difference between the G League and the NBA is that uh, you don't see a lot of legitimate rim protectors in, in the G League because those guys are in the NBA because NBA teams need them. So that's already one thing in Duran's favor to not be assigned to the Cruz. If he goes down there, like how much is he going to get to work on his short roll passing and shooting and stuff? Because he may just be catching lobs over everybody that's down there anyway. And possibly, like, I don't mean to say, like, maybe he ends up developing bad habits in the, I haven't watched enough G League to know. I watched a little bit when I was doing Dyson Daniels, Jaden Hardy breakdowns. And like, there's not a lot of defense always played down there. Like, so sometimes I wonder what, what, how much of the development is coming. Uh, that, that's a whole nother thing for another episode. One last thing, because I thought this was a really cool idea or, or, or note from Wes as he put in this outline. Again, always shout out Wes Davenport, who puts in the outline for us. Would a lineup of Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Hamadou Diallo, who is on a, a team option, we'll know about that very, very soon, actually by the – Tuesday evening when you're listening to this, Marvin Bagley the third and Jalen Duran. Would that be the most athletic five man lineup we've seen in a while in Detroit? Cade, Ivy, Hami, Bagley, and Duran? Probably. Yeah. I mean, you have plus athletes at every position except point guard, and Cade is still, I mean, an above average athlete. Like all he has to do is throw the ball to the rim and let one of those guys go get it. Yeah, that's all he has to do. That's also probably the worst shooting lineup you can do together where uh you know, obviously your second best shooter in that lineup by a pretty significant margin. Uh, but athleticism wise, yeah, like maybe you could just outrun guys and, you know, just constantly assault the rim and have some success that way. Talking about an athletic lineup, we may see one in Summer League if second round pick Gabriel Prashida is there to play with Jay Nivey and Jalen Duran. And we will talk about him when we come back for segment two. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Maros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're back here with the Pistons post segment two, uh, and we're going to get into uh, Pistons second round and then, you know, their undrafted free agent guys and uh, sort of what we could see in, in, in summer league, which is coming up pretty, pretty quickly here in about nine or 10 days. So uh, they did have one second round pick, Gabriel Prashida, uh, who a lot of people have been curious about, uh, draft a stash guy, uh, but seems to have pretty good upside. I mean, he was a sharpshooter uh, over in Italy. Uh, decent enough athleticism, uh, 20 years old. I know, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I knew a lot about the guy before the Pistons drafted him, but uh, a lot of the draft analysts who follow the international prospects seem to be pretty 
excited about him. So definitely got to be curious about like, Bryce. I don't know if you've had a chance to dive into any film on them, but sort of what, what, what have you seen from what he's produced so far? Yeah, like I said it, it was kind of a busy weekend for me coaching the high school team in OKC, but I did get to watch one film, Omari, and you see the things that people are talking about, the shooting, and it wasn't just catch and shoot, which I think is always interesting to me, right? Like a lot of guys can be catch and shoot, but he's coming off the staggered. So we see the Pistons run this all the time. Ball's on the right side of the floor. They run a staggered to the left and Sadiq or whoever's coming off the staggered. Uh, Prashida can catch and shoot it. He can put it on the floor, pull up at 15 feet. Haven't seen him get to the rim as much. The handle's a little shaky, but the athleticism, Some a lot of video clips have started making their rounds on Twitter with him dunking like in warm-ups, or not warm-ups, uh, like pickup games or workouts. And then he had a block in the game that I watched that I tweeted out that is impressive just because of how high he jumped, if nothing else. So he is interesting and you and I were texting back and forth this weekend about draft and stash. It, it sounds like the Pistons hold his rights until they're ready for him to come over or until he's ready to come over. I think he can say, hey, I'm ready to come over. And then the Pistons have 12 months to bring him in or essentially his rights are waived or, or are free for him to sign with anybody else. So uh, definitely a name I think more than Balsa was, Omari, to keep an eye on over the next 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that clearly has uh, an NBA skill set, uh, being a six eight uh, sharp shooter, uh, who could also attack some some closeouts. Uh, maybe has some upside on defense as well. The defense was interesting. Like it wasn't awful. He moves his feet decent. Like he was. I don't think he's gonna be a plus defender, but I think he can hold his own. Amari. If he could be average, then yeah, I mean that's that's uh, an NBA guy. And like I, I would throw out that. Uh, the Pistons were looking to trade that pick before they did take him. So I think that, you know, their priority was more. So we just don't want to bring like another young guy into the fold. Uh, they ended up not trading it. So like getting a draft stash type, type guy was like the next best case scenario, uh, which makes sense. Like you have six first round picks in three years. They uh, used to have some, some recent second guy round guys on the roster with uh Isaiah Livers and whatnot. So, like, how young can this team get? And then you also probably want to save some roster spots for free agency as well. Uh, so, I know a lot of people were curious about when we're going to see uh, him come over to the U.S. And, like, I don't know. Like, that's up to the Pistons and that's up to him, right? Like, you know, like, that's not something I can really predict. But I think the, for, the upside for the Pistons was just he's a guy who we could keep overseas until – our roster is a little bit more settled. And I feel like most draft size guys probably don't really pan out, but uh, just as a six, eight guy that can shoot, uh, there's going to be some intrigue there. I think if I was going to nitpick Troy Weaver's draft, it was this pick Omar. Cause I was juiced because guys like Jaden Hardy, EJ Liddell, Bryce McGowan's Ryan Rollins, even Ishmael Kamagade, a big guy who may end up being draft and sash as well. were on the board. But I understood it a little bit more whenever I spoke with you and you told me, hey, the Pistons were trying to trade out of this. And that made sense either. Like you said, they don't want yet another young guy on the roster or like I feel like it's probably roster spots, right? Like it comes down to it. Troy Weaver knows a little bit what his free agency plan is and that they need to bring in two quote unquote veteran or I don't know if they're going to end up being veterans because Malik Monk's, Monk's name is coming out and he's not necessarily a vet, but he's been in the league for a few years. He knows they're going to sign a couple of those guys and they don't have the roster spot for a Jaden Hardy or Bryce McGowan's EJ Liddell. And that's why they went with the draft and sash. The one thing I don't know that either of us have got clarification on is 
Will Prashida play in Summer League or can a second round draft and sash even even be able to or eligible to? I I would assume they're eligible to, but maybe they don't usually do it. I, I don't have a for sure understanding or grasp of how that necessarily works just yet. You know, I haven't covered a lot of draft and sash guys since I started covering the uh, league. So, yeah, so, so 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 we'll see. Like, I think we did see see Bossa on the uh, Summer League roster last year after that uh, deal was finally consummated. So it, it, it wouldn't shock me if we we do see him uh, in, in Vegas this summer. But uh, I think we'll probably be getting that roster within the next weekish or so. So we'll have an answer for that soon. One other guy, like we don't have to dive into him. I am going to do a deep dive film breakdown because that's what I do on Buddy Beheim out of Syracuse. And I think the interesting thing with him as an undrafted free agent was he got one of the two-way spots. So that means either Jamarco Pickett or Braxton Key you know, will end up on within the organization in another way, either on the active 15-man roster, which I would assume doesn't happen. Maybe they're just straight G League. Maybe they end up with another organization. But Buddy Beheim was signed as an undrafted free agent to take up one of those two-way spots. And I think the personal connection is interesting of note. Uh, you were talking to me before the episode that – his father, Jim Beheim, obviously the legendary coach at Syracuse. Troy Weaver was an assistant for Beheim at one point in his career. There's the Syracuse connection there. Uh, Troy Weaver was an assistant coach under Jim Beheim um, at Syracuse. And, you know, of course, Troy still has that pretty strong Syracuse connection. Um, but Buddy's just a guy that could really shoot. Uh, I forget his stats off, offhand, but uh, he shot the ball at high volume. Uh, throughout his four years of college. And I know that percentage dipped a little bit of senior season, but overall he was still a productive high volume shooter. Uh, so uh, I think I kind of saw some people who were like, why are we deciding Jim Beheim's son? But, you know, for a two-way deal, like most two ways aren't going to work out, obviously, but he obviously could fill a key need just as a guy who could knock down threes. Uh, you know, and then you just kind of look at the Miami Heat, and they've had luck with guys who were, you know, like really under the radar but could shoot the ball. Max Struess. Max Struess, Nick Stauskas. You know, you you never know. And Buddy, like, it's not like he's like a 5'10 dude who shot <laughs> a lot of threes. He's like 6'6", six, six, has like actual NBA size as well. You know, like, I think that makes sense. Clearly, if you know, you look at uh, who they went with with, with the 36 pick and now Buddy and both of these guys can shoot. Uh, Pistons are very clearly trying to find other avenues to fill that need as well. Good. Like the, the team needs shooting, like find out if maybe he can defend a little bit better than what people may think. Or obviously he played a lot of zone in his college career playing for his dad at Syracuse. But yeah, I mean, this kid, he's six, six Omari. So like you said, he's not like some five ten guy average 15, 18 and 19 over his last three years, the shooting percentage from three 37, 38, it did dip this last season down to 34, but I did watch some Syracuse games and he's taking like tough threes. It's not like it's just wide open catch and shoot stuff so interesting guy I'm sure we'll see him in summer league hopefully he shoots it really well and we'll see how that goes I, I do another note just for the summer league roster they signed or they signed up Howard's Kyle Foster who shot 46% from three at Howard this past season he'll play in the summer league with the Pistons I would assume next week's episode Amari we will probably have the full summer league roster for that one obviously a bunch of free agency news so we'll be able to dive into it just a little bit more on next week's episode before you and I are out there to see the Pistons in person. Before we go to segment three, where we're going to talk about the NBA draft, just a little bit more in general, the winners, the losers, things we liked and didn't like, 
let's just talk about how this roster is starting to shape up ahead of free agency. You've already mentioned, and again, always read Omari Sankofa II on the Detroit Free Press. Go check out his article on kind of the, the change in direction of the free agency offseason for the Pistons. There was also a report that came out that the Pistons are likely to pick up Hamadou Diallo's team option, but not Frank Jackson's team option. We've been talking about shooting. That's something Frank was supposed to be able to do. Do you find that interesting that they would actually pick up homies, but maybe not Frank's? Yeah, I think the thing with Frank is that his shooting has been more in theory than like the reality. And uh, he dipped, you know, pretty bad last season. And, you know, just at, at, at his size, he's about 6'2 or 6'3, uh, but not really a point guard at all. He's like purely like an off-ball shooter uh, who could have tasted with occasionally attack closeouts and at his size uh, can, that can't handle that many uh, defensive assignments as well. Um, like, I think it, it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, and I was curious to see if either of those guys would come back, you know, just because that backwards already getting pretty crowded. Uh, but Hami, I mean, Hami had a solid season last year, just as a guy who brings energy and athleticism off of the bench. And uh, I think we had this debate, like, in one of the early episodes of the podcast, like, if Hami could become, like, a league average shooter, which is a big if, uh, how would he compare next to a guy like Frank, you know, since Hami might be a little bit more toolsy overall. You know, so 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 we'll see. Uh, I don't, like, Hami and Jaden Ivey is a super, super athletic backcourt. And, you know, you need one of those guys to be able to shoot for it to, to work. But if Ivey can shoot, you know, you know, put him next to Hami, uh, you're getting up and down the court. Uh, you know, I think there's just an awareness from the the front office that this team needs to be able to shoot, but it needs to be more athletic as well. Uh, you know, when you have a team that has Kate, Sadiq, Isaiah, these are some of your key guys, and they're not necessarily like plus plus athletes. You got to get you know some more bounciness around them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think I see the logic as Holly being more of a long term upside guy. Yeah, and Hami's interesting because I, I feel like we forgot about him just a little bit. I was looking at the game log, and, and he didn't play like what. He played one of the last 17, 18 games of the season. So we, he was one of those guys that was shut, you know, wasn't playing at the end of the year. What was it? A thumb? It was a finger injury. Finger, yeah. Yeah. yeah so we didn't see him uh, too much in the month of, of, of March at all. So, yeah, he was sitting. So I think we kind of forget him just a little bit. Um, this does make sense. And like I said, you say it perfectly with Frank Jackson. Like the shooting has been much more in theory than reality with Frank Jackson. And then as an undersized guard, he's probably, I don't know if he's a liability defensively, but, you know, smaller guards, you know, it's a little tougher for them to at least be positives defensively. I do want to ask this question because I think it's interesting ahead of Thursday's free agency. Do you think the starting five on opening night is currently already on the roster, Omar? I think there's a good chance. Uh, I see an outside chance for one guy in free agency cracking the starting lineup, but I think if you assume what guy, you know what guy? Tell what guy specifically. I have no clue what guy it is. <laughs> yeah, Pistons don't know which guy it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it would it wouldn't surprise me if at least four of the guys are already on the roster. I mean, I think Kate, Sadiq, Isaiah. Uh, that's pretty safe, and I can see Ivy being a starter opening night as well. I think he fits in pretty well next to Cade and you just look at you know Killian being a day one starter Cade being a day one starter uh Sadiq did come off the bench his first two games but he started every game since uh you know the Pistons have been pretty forward about you know giving their guys uh a lot of minutes early on so uh I guess the question for me is just like that uh front court you know are you comfortable with you know Isaiah Sadiq and then you have somebody come in at the three 
or you know just exactly how do you handle that that part of it so that's more of a tbd but i could see uh for the guys for sure okay so that's more of my realistic question what position because i agree with you i think those are probably the four so what position do you think they go try to find to start like do they need a three and you start bay at the four and sue at the five do you go find a four so bay can start at the three or like we've talked about this a little bit, the Stewart, do they believe in Stewart's jumper? Like, do you go find a five that starts next to Isaiah and you play Isaiah at the four? Do you, do you have any sort of sense of what position or is it just end up the best player available almost that they can acquire in free agency and you just kind of figure it out? It could be best player available and then you figure it out. You know, I think for one, you just look at this free agency class and there's not a lot of like, this guy could fill this spot, but you know, other teams are going to want this guy as well. Like a Tarian Prince, uh, you know, he's a forward, shot the ball pretty well, could probably play both front court spots. I mean, he would be perfect, but you know, do you bring him in or is it more likely you bring in a a Malik Mock or a Gary Harris or a Wesley Matthews? Uh, It seems like there's probably a few more backcourt shooters available than, you know, guys in, in in the front court. So, uh, potentially, we could see K play a lot of, you know, and I'll say this in quotes, quote unquote, three. Like, you know, he's still be like the lead ball handler, but maybe you play him next to a, you know, an Ivy and a Gary Harris or an Ivy and a Brent Forbes or uh, Killian and Wes Matthews or whoever. So I think it's just more so just find shooters and then let Dwayne Casey get to work. You know, I don't know, especially with this class, I just don't know if you'll be able to find like that, the, the, the perfect person who rounds out the rotation the way you would like it to be. That's really interesting. I hadn't even thought about that in the starting lineup. So you you truly could bring in Gary Harris and start defensively. Gary Harris and Jaden Ivey in the backcourt. Cade at the three. Again, we're in quotes here. And then Bay at the four and Stu at the five, right? Like that. that's definitely a possibility. It's a possibility. Or, you know, they just conceive with Kojo. And then you have Kojo, uh, Ivy, Cade, you know, and then, and then Bay and like Stu again. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, that that could be the starting lineup right there. It wouldn't shock me if they continue to stick with Corey Joseph to the delight of I was gonna say, fans. <laughs> yeah, whenever Keith Smith, I don't remember what Keith Smith said, and you told him that, oh, he brought up the Josh Smith contract, and you told him that the listeners turned off the episode. We may have just lost a few there because people, people are going to be livid, Omari. We know that if Corey Joseph is starting opening night, especially if there was a world where he was starting and Jaden Ivey is not. What, what about a, a couple of names? Like Bobby Portis is a name that continues to come up. I use him, Omari, as an example of, I have a hard time understanding guys like him, even Gary Harris. Why would they not just go to a contender? And I know we've talked again with Keith Smith about overpaying them, even if it's just for a year. Maybe they do that. But to me, I feel like those guys are placed in their career where they're going to go play for a contender, even if it's for a million or two less than what the Pistons would offer. Am, am I off base on that, thinking that like a guy like Bobby Portis probably isn't a realistic option unless you like extremely overpay and probably tack on more years or something to that contract? I don't know about Bobby Portis specifically, given that he is uh, on a team that he won a championship with, but, there, but there's always going to be road guys who don't sign with contenders for a variety of reasons you know the contender interest may be lukewarm or they may not have the money they want to pay and the pistons you know given that uh you know somewhere in their priority list is still maintaining some flexibility for 2023 unless the perfect opportunity comes to just add that core piece this summer uh you know they could do something where uh let's say gary's best theoretical contract from a contender is like three years 18 million or something and the pistons say Hey, uh, we'll give you two years, ten million, 
but the second year is partially guaranteed. So, you know, Gary Harris is still getting a guaranteed 12 billion. Uh, and then he could also hit the market again next summer and get like a, a, a new deal. I think that's where that flexibility comes in because the Pistons could do those creative, uh, you know, like two year, like, you know, three year with a team option, a partial guarantee mixed in and guys make more money up front and I can hit the, the market sooner. Uh, you know, like players always have different priorities and the market doesn't always work out the way um, players expect. And for some players, it'll be, okay, I couldn't get with a contender, but, you know, I can play for like this up and coming, you know, young Pistons team with a guy in Cade Cunningham. It could be fun to play with. And additionally, I get a little bit more money in my pocket in a short amount of time and I can figure things out again uh, next summer or the summer after. So, yeah, I think the Pistons will be able to find a, a shooter. There's only so many contenders with actual money to, to spend. And once you get kind of past like the MLE deals they'll send out and whatnot, you're going to see guys kind of settle and just take the next best thing that they can get. That's really interesting because what they could do, someone like Gary Harris could go sign and play with the Pistons for like two years, a one plus one, and then he's going to hit the market again when the salary cap, it's not going to spike like they did, what was that, in 2014 when all those ridiculous contracts were handed out, but the salary cap is going to start increasing. So maybe he goes and gets a little bit of extra money for the next two years, then he can go back into the market when the salary cap's going up and maybe some kinder contenders have more money to spin so that that would be really interesting before we go to segment three and talk about the draft in general uh, can you do a prediction let's just do a prediction what we think is going to happen thursday night um you can do specific names i i I have specific names i didn't prep we didn't prep this so amari if you don't have specific names but what what would be your prediction for the first couple days of free agency for the pistons I'll, i'll go ahead and go let you think i think they signed malik monk and take on a bad contract with future assets. That's what I think the rest of this free agency plays out. Obviously, some other maybe smaller moves. So, Hami comes back. Marvin Bagley III comes back. Frank walks. They bring in Malik Monk, and they trade for a bad contract that they get future assets for. I think I'm in the same boat. I can see them going out, uh, bringing in a couple shooters in free agency. And then I can see some sort of trade that balances the roster in some way. And maybe it's a bad contract. Uh, or maybe it's just, you know, like a slightly overpaid role player, not like a bad contract per se, but a player that the other team's just like, you know, we could invest these resources elsewhere. And if it's as you get a vet who could uh, shoot the ball and it's like mutually beneficial. So uh, definitely smaller scale moves as opposed to, uh, you know, just backing up the Brinks truck to DeAndre Ayton and crossing your fingers. Remember, free agency on Thursday night, 6 p.m. Eastern. We will not have a special episode for that because we don't know when the Pistons news will break. We will obviously be back next week on Tuesday to break all that down. But stay with us. We still got one more segment here. We're going to recap the entire NBA draft. Not everything, but with some of the stop storylines for Omari and I. Winners, losers, biggest surprises, best fits. And we'll do that after this short break. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com 
patreon.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, we're back with segment three, uh, recapping the NBA draft as a whole. And let's just start off by just tossing this question out. Uh, were the Pistons the biggest overall winner? Because uh, I think there are other teams who have an argument, uh, like OKC had a pretty good night. Uh, but I think as far as a team, uh, just kind of getting lucky twice and ending up between the best prospects without having to give much up. Uh, like you could argue pound for pound, the Pistons had the best night. And I think I actually would say the Pistons had the best night just because Ali and Duran is one of the best halls in the in the, the draft. And there are two guys that entering the night, it didn't seem like the Pistons were in position to acquire. It's funny because, like, all of a sudden the next day, Pistons fans are like, is this bad that everybody's saying that the Pistons won the draft? You know how you change the narrative all of a sudden? You get excited about it, but then all the sports talk shows are talking about Detroit. And and I do – I even have that mentality a little bit more. I'm like, I don't want Stephen A. talking about us. I don't want Kendrick Perkins <laughs> talking. I, I just – leave us all alone. Let Detroit do what it does, and we'll sneak up on you guys in a couple years. But it, it was cool to see them kind of be the talk of the town there for a while, talk of the country, the NBA community. You know who I draft I like, Amari? And the Houston Rockets, I do. I think Jabari Smith Jr. falling to them at three, I think that's a great fit for them. It gives them a defensive presence. It's an immediate replacement of Christian Wood. Not that he's as tall as Christian Wood, but you know he's better version because he can shoot it better and he defends. I like Tari Eason, especially where they got Tari Eason. I thought that was a really good pick for them at number 17. And then they got Ty Ty Washington, maybe the best true, like quote unquote, true point guard in the class. Like he may start for them this season and they got him at the end of the first round so i like those three picks for the houston rockets no i agree uh you know oh, he's your guy you like tari eason yeah i like tari and I also talked about ty ty being like the next kentucky guard who comes yeah, to the league yeah. and looks like a lot better uh so i think houston is my number two the only reason why i take the pistons over them is because houston had the third pick and the pistons had the fifth so houston was guaranteed to get one of the top three guys of the draft and the pistons were not guaranteed to get one of the top four guys of the draft uh, so really, maybe that makes the Kings a bigger loser than it makes the Pistons a winner. <laughs> uh, but I would say, like Houston, like absolutely, like that's probably my number two. Uh, to get Jabari Smith Jr. at number three, and we could talk about this later, but I also thought it was curious that uh, Ben Carroll did end up going number one after uh, it seemed like Jabari was pretty set in that spot. Uh, but I think he's a great fit for that roster. Uh, like I thought Ben Carroll and Jalen Green would have been like an, a, a, a really fun pairing and it kind of puts – him into that uh, Ben Caron into that immediate like kind of playmaking row, uh, but yeah, I mean Jabari Smith Jr. You're like just the best off ball shooter in the in entire draft uh, at six ten uh, had a great argument to go no- number one. Uh, so the fact that he went number three is really curious to me in a league that values shooting. Uh, but yeah, like I think they went three for three under first round picks. Uh, Ty Ty Washington had a fantastic season until he got hurt, uh, but he's just like really really shifty. Uh, he's got good vision, good size. Uh, he's not quite like Tyrese Maxey, but I see some similarities in just like how good their touch is from mid-range. And like guys like that to me are going to end up being above average point guards. I do think that by the time he's due for an extension, he'll be an above average point guard. And Tyrese Houston is just like a big toolsy guy. Uh, if everything breaks right for him, he could be Jeremy Grant. And he's still like a little raw and has some improvement to make. But yeah, just 
a really good good draft for them for for sure. And they're kind of like the Pistons where they have a room for the young guys. So it's like, what does this become in two years? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I see it too. Like Jalen Green and Alperin Shingoon. Like Green had a really good post All Star break. As much as we talk about Cade Cunningham's post All Star break, Jalen Green really did. And I know some Pistons fans still don't like that, and I I'm cool with it. But and then Shingoon, I know they're super high on Shingoon because you know some Rockets fans didn't want Paolo because you know he was going to take away what from what Shingoon does. But I do like what they're getting there. Let's talk about Paolo real quick because I actually have the Magic as a winner, or I at least like with it because I had Paolo as the number one player on my board. I, I thought he was the best player in the draft. I think he's going to be the best player in the draft. Well, I think Jaden Ivey is going to be the best player in the draft now that he's in Detroit. But, you know, Paolo is really good. How, how crazy was that? I was listening to a, a, a podcast this morning as I was working out. I got to work out before we record so I get my energy and my juice going. The coffee doesn't always just do it. But they were talking about how you know the betting odds moved and then they moved and nobody knew it and Paolo didn't know it till seven minutes before the draft started whatever it was were you like completely shocked by that as everybody else like what were you thinking when all of a sudden it was Paolo yeah it was surprising for sure because uh, pretty much all the, the draft guys that morning uh, were pretty set that it would be Jabari Smith with an outside chance of it being Chet and then, yeah, like, as you said, like the, the betting market shifted and then it was like, oh, like what's going on here? A couple of mock drafts, a couple of like the main mock drafts ended up getting updated like an hour or two before the draft. Like, oh, actually, it's going to be Paolo now. Uh, but to me, I thought like, I guess the thing for me, like the difference between Paolo and Jabari going number one is that it's almost like the difference between like it going for like a potential elite quarterback, like an elite wide re- receiver. Right. Like if you're yeah. like, re- like if you're a rebuilding team, you could take the wide receiver and you know you have a good piece but will you be able to maximize that guy if you don't have the playmaking and you watch the finals and you know you have guys like tatum and Jalen brown and those are like your engines per se you know whereas you put the ball in their hands and they can create something uh you know even if they're having an off night like they're going to be able to you know play make or do something right and the orlando magic who have not had all the success of course in the last decade are just like let's just get get the engine like let's just get the guy who we can put the ball in his hands and he's going to create uh, like they just took Suggs last year, but Suggs didn't have a great rookie season. So let's just check that box. And then we know we can surround him with talent and be all right, rather than taking Jabari Smith Jr., who uh elite, elite shooter. But if you're a rebuilding team, could we be able to maximize his skill set to the same extent? You probably still need like that big playmaking type of guy. So uh, like I just thought like that was an interesting thought experiment and there's no like right or wrong answer, but I guess that's the analogy I, I, I would lose is, you know, you're a re- rebuilding team. Do you, take the shot up the swing on the QB and if it works out you're set for the next decade or do you go for the wide receiver and maybe you just can't maximize the skill set as much as you would want because you still don't have that playmaker I like that analogy Omari that was nice man I didn't know you I didn't know you got the football mind like that that was really good (laughs) there we go yeah I watched the Lions as much as the the Pistons for a while growing up so there we go you're gonna have Lions fans in the comments section because they went I wasn't a receiver obviously but they haven't gone for that high upside quarterback yet we don't need to get into that then we'll be talking about Jared Goff and all sorts of craziness so I did like I like the analogy though yeah it's not like a one-one comparison because shooters get hot wide receivers can't get hot without a good quarterback but that's how, how I see it. You're the Orlando Magic. It's like, let's just get Ben Carroll. We can put the bar in his hands, and he's going to make plays regardless. Like, I think for them, it's an acknowledgement of this is the safest pick for us. And it's, I think it's an acknowledgement that maybe Suggs and Fultz and, and Cole, and, like, those guys aren't that. They're not going to do that. But now they can play a secondary role where maybe they're in the right role. We talk about it all the time, how being in the right role helps you be successful. 
I just think it's super interesting, Amari. All three of those guys, the top four were all bit, you know, fours at least play four. But those top three all are going to probably start their careers as four men, but they were such different prospects. Every single one of those guys is completely different. We're talking about Paulo as the engine, a creator. We're talking about Chet as this elite defensive anchor, stretch big to start, maybe more to his game as he develops. And then Jabari Smith Jr. is the shooter. That was what was so interesting about this draft is those top three, they all play the same position and they all play it completely different. Yeah, no, they have a lot of guys in the room who are all toolsy, uh, different uh, like you, you, you mentioned Cole Anthony and, you know, some of the guys in that backcourt, like exactly how do they fill in? I'm sure I've Caro, you know, like, are we going to see, like, what does your front court look like next year? Uh, like Mo Bamba is a, a free agent. Restricted free agent, uh, yep. Yeah, restricted free agent. So does he come back or not? Yeah, we haven't seen Jonathan Isaac in a couple of years. You know, Franz Wagner could probably play the three or the four, but they have a lot of interesting pieces and it, it'll be curious to see how they decide to kind of get these guys to all fit together. Uh, but I think with that roster, I think just the biggest need, if you just look at it as a whole, is just one guy that you know can consistently make plays every single time they're down the court. And I mean, Franz is that guy, but does he top out as like a star, or like more of like an elite role player, uh, which, you know, I guess I'm still kind of mixed on. But uh, Ben Carroll will make everybody's life easier. Cole Anthony started off hot, but kind of fell off as that as his uh, efficiency dipped. Uh, Markel Fultz, I really don't know what to make of him. And then Suggs, I mean, you know, like it's just tough to adapt as a point guard in the NBA. And I think Ben Carroll just raises their floor as a whole, as one guy who can do a little, little bit of everything and take pressure off everybody else. All right, so we've talked about some of the big winners. Let's talk about some of the losers or just, you know, some some picks maybe um, that, that made us scratch our head. Maybe not even the whole draft in general, but maybe some picks. I'm going to start off with the Knicks. I don't even know if I understand everything the Knicks have done. I've tried it so many times, Omari. It did make me feel a little bit better listening to other podcasts talk about how they couldn't keep track of everything the the Knicks did. Essentially, they traded 11 for future first. They traded future first for Jalen Duran, and then they traded Jalen Duran for another, like all sorts of craziness. Essentially, they came out with no actual draft picks, didn't create that much cap space, they do have some future first. I don't know what the protections or who they're from. Were the Knicks a loser on draft night or were they smarter than the rest of us? I don't know. Yeah, I don't quite know what they did either. <laughs> like I've seen several recaps of how many picks they moved. And it just seems like they just did a lot for like little to no return at all. Like I'm not really sure what the game plan was there or if they sort of had like an end game that didn't like come together the way they expected uh, like, I know their biggest priority this summer appears to be signing Jalen Brunson, and that will probably decide the fate of their offseason as they continue to uh, piece a team around Julius Randle, uh, who, of course, had a, a, a down year last year. Uh, but I really don't know what they did, but when you make, like, eight moves on draft night and you don't really have a lot to show for it, uh, you know, then you have teams that, like, very clearly won the draft night as well. I think that that would... I think that they would be a loser for sure. Like, I, I, I don't know what they did. Like, I know that they were involved in, like, that that Pistons deal. And, uh, you know, folks were like, what is New York getting out of this? And I'm like, well, they got off of Kimba's contract. And beyond that, I'm not, re- I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, it's not like Kimba was making $30 million. So, like, yeah, you clear some money. But, you know, that's not like a contract that was maybe imperative to get off of. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a little confused by that as well. You know, like, I didn't think that they were, like, a lot of just, like, outright losers that night. Um, 
like you kind of look up and down. I thought a lot, a lot of teams did good work with like what they had. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Charlotte got off of the 13th pick uh, basically for future capital. They got four seconds from the Knicks and then, uh, you know, like that future first. And for them, like, I just kind of saw that as like, well, they don't want to add two young players. They're trying to maintain some cap flexibility uh, to potentially bring Miles Bridges back. So, you know, you save money by not bringing in two lottery picks or one lottery pick and then the 15th pick. And also they've needed a center since forever. And you're picking between Duran and Mark Williams and you go with Mark Williams. Uh, I would say that maybe that is bad business just in the sense that Duran is probably more of the longer term upside guy. Uh, but with that said, like, I also like Mark Williams enough to where, like, I'll just kind of give their night, like, a okay. Like, I see, like, I get what you were going for. Maybe it's not, like, the best use of an asset, but for your needs, and if you think Mark Williams is the better long-term bet, which you might be right. Not not bad business by any means, but definitely not exciting business either. Just a few first-round picks that I scratched my head at. The Timberwolves took Walker Kessler. I think Walker Kessler, even though he's a great shot blocker, or was a historic shot blocker. I think he chases shot block, and I'm interested to see. I love David Roddy, but the Grizzlies taking him when they did was very interesting. And then my absolute least favorite pick of the entire night, Wes is laughing because he knows where this is going. He loved this on the live feed, was Peyton Watson to the Nuggets at number 30. I looked it up the other day, Omari. I was playing my senior year on a torn ACL at American, and I almost averaged more points than Peyton Watson did this past season. Now, completely (laughs) different levels, but I I just – I don't understand it. I don't get it with Peyton Watson, but that's why I'm living in Lake in Kansas, and other people make huge amounts of money to do scouting and all that. But that was my least favorite pick of the night. Here's a couple interesting ones. Jaden Hardy, I think he's a winner because I like where he's going to Dallas – but Jaden Hardy Omari probably lost a ton of money by choosing to go play in the G League because he, you know, was a rumored whatever, you know, top five pick coming out of high school, and he ended up at number thirty-seven. Yeah, I mean that's like the worst case scenario for him, and I'm curious to see how guys kind of make their decisions as far as college and and, and pro because uh, for Jaden Hardy it didn't really work out at all, and I think it shows that that. You know, transition from high school to the G League. Uh, it's not an easy one. Uh, Jalen Green. I mean, he had a pretty good G League season, but uh, you know, he he wasn't like outstandingly e- efficient. But it, like, but he was still pretty good. But some of these guys, yeah, they're going to go to the G League and they're going to get exposed and they're going to uh, lose money. You know, and that's a, a very real scenario that for a lot of guys, it's not going to be a no brainer good de- decision. I think Hardy's somewhat unique in the sense that he is a guard who really only scores the ball, not a great playmaker, not a great defender. So if you're an NBA team and you're taking them, it's like, well, if he can't be at least an average scorer, uh, he's not going to be an NBA player. And even then, he's just Austin Rivers, right? Like, you know, do we want to use a pick with a guy who's Austin Rivers? We could just go out and find that guy for pretty cheap and free agency. So that could just be more of a skill set evaluation type deal. Because on the other hand, you have a guy, and uh, I hope I say his name correctly, Usman Jang, uh, who went 11th to OKC. And he was overseas and didn't really have a great season. And so he kind of caught fire toward the end. But as a guy who's like 6'10", very fluid handle, kind of like long term. And it's like, okay, well, this guy would be able to give us value, even if he's not like an elite scorer. You know, I think that's just an interesting thought exercise as far as some guys just having games more malleable and lend himself more to upside. And Jaden Hardy probably doesn't. So uh, definitely curious to see if the, the 
ignite continue to get these top guys if they could see Jaden Hardy and think well maybe this isn't the right fit for me well and I think his own teammates showcased that as well Dyson Daniels went number eight so going and playing for the G League Ignite sure as heck didn't hurt him and probably the weakest point of his game or one of is shooting and so like you could see that you know prioritizing again if you're not going to be a star or number one number two number three option can you do all these other things even teammate Marshawn Beauchamp went I believe number 24 to the bucks and so he went higher than Jaden Hardy so it wasn't like just going to the ignite is you know uh lowering the draft stock it was about context so I'm glad you brought that up maybe it's just the player that Hardy is and how the league valued that or valued him in general Uh, a a couple other ones real quick John Butler the seven footer out of Florida State at time of the recording he's not even on like he hasn't even been picked up as an undrafted free agent. He's not on a summer league roster. A lot of people thought he should have went back to Florida State. And then the other like non-college pathway, the overtime elite program. John Montero was a guy that people thought was going to get drafted. He didn't get drafted. Don Barlow's another guy. So those are a couple guys that are interesting and maybe not ideal for that program that those guys didn't get drafted. It's just an alternate pathway into the NBA. Yeah, and I think for a lot of these guys, it's just your overall skill set. But I think over time, we'll see, you know, uh, players and maybe just their overall camps, agents, whatnot, uh, will be able to more so select the best fit or showcasing their talent as well. If you're J- Jaden Hardy and your best skill is scoring, you don't give anything else. You want to go somewhere where you're going to put up numbers, right? You know, you don't want to have that be your best skill and then not score the ball very well, where you compare a guy like a Dyson who's very toolsy and you know, you mentioned they're like six, seven, or whatever. Uh, does everything but shoot the ball. NBA teams are always going to get on those guys more. And then I think overtime elite has some intriguing guys coming in next season as well. So I'd be curious to see uh, where those guys get drafted. And as a whole, I think it's good that we have so many options for players now. They have ways Absolutely. of making money, getting paid before they even get to the league. Um, and it's certainly not not uncommon for five star guys to flame out at any level, whether it's college or the NBA or whatnot. You know, that hardly guarantees your success. So. Uh, the microscope's a little bit bigger on these alternate pathways now because people are like, well, what does it mean for the future of the game? Uh, I think it just means that some guys are paying out, some won't, but now they'll make more money before they flame out. So, you know, still, bottom line, probably a better outcome for most players than not. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the alternate pathways. I like NIL for college players. I love all of that stuff. And it'll be interesting. Yeah, Scoot Henderson is is a top probably, for sure, a top five pick right now in next year's class. And so it's going to be interesting if he stays there. He was in the G League Ignite, for those that don't know. He was playing with the G League Ignite this past season and obviously will this upcoming season as well. Uh, let's leave the episode with this. best your, your best team player fit. So who do you feel like went to the best scenario, Amari? I'll, I'll give a couple and then let you go. I really like Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Ryan Rollins to the Warriors. I think those are great fits for those guys. I think that's a great spot for those type of players to to land. Shane Sharp to the Blazers because I think they'll be patient, let him develop. And then my guy, you know we couldn't go the whole episode without me mentioning Benedict Matherin. I do think he's a great fit with the Indiana Pacers, and that's going to be some great backcourt battles between Cade and Jaden Ivey against him and Tyrese Halliburton. So I, I do think that ended up even though it's not Detroit, and I will say I still wanted Jaden Ivey, even though I was a big Ben Math guy, I do think that ended up being a good spot for him. Uh, I'm going to go David Roddy with Memphis. Uh, just a very Memphis pick. Um, but I think the Grizzlies, their draft philosophy has just been if a guy's productive, uh, we're not going to let 
you know, like body type or like whatever or age or whatever uh, prevent us from taking him. We just are. Uh, they got Brandon Clark with a late first round pick. They got Desmond Bain with like the 29th or 30th pick a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, two guys who were like the oldest guys in the draft, but then they come in and they're very productive role players or in Bain's case, uh, you know, like an above average starter. Uh, you know, really, when you look at his overall production, average like 18 a game. So Roddy, again, uh, you know, spent several years in college, like overall, just highly, highly productive. And teams are like, well, he's like 6'6", 250, with his body type translate, this and that. Uh, I mean, the Grizzlies, like, they have the depth to kind of play him in situations that are most advantageous to him. Uh, but also, he's just a talented guy in the Grizzlies, just like guys who are talented and can play regardless of whatever ever downsides there may be. So I'm excited for that one because everybody was like, Roddy has a chance to be the still of the draft. And then it's like, well, if he's the still of the draft, why not just make him a first-round pick? Like, why would he even fall to 35 or 40 or whatever? So, so I, I just thought that that was a really good pick for them. No, that, that, that's interesting. It's good. I like David Roddy. I liked him in the second round. But you're right. If you're a team like Memphis, then why not take him whenever you have the chance to take him? I do think it's really interesting he ended up going ahead of EJ Liddell, who fell into the mid-second round, the kid out of Ohio State. So um, it was a fun Thursday night. It's been a fun weekend. The fun continues this week, guys. Again, Thursday night, 6 p.m. Eastern, free agency starts. We'll see what our Detroit Pistons do. We'll be back next Tuesday with an episode breaking it all down, everything that's happened, a little preview for Summer League. I'll get a chance to see my guy, Omari. We'll go out to, to dinner, spend some time, hang out, watch those Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, alley-oop dunks and connections there on Thursday night at Summer League. Thank you for the ratings, the comments. The, saw some new ones whenever I looked this morning. Keep those coming, guys. We appreciate the support. Omari, take it away, my friend. Yes, sir. Shout out to our editor, Carrie Jr. the second, our executive producer, Jeanette Delgado, and our other executive producer, Kirkley Crawford. And also shout out to Wes Davenport. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>